We live in a world where the news is at our fingertips, but how often do we stop scrolling and just listen? I'm Malika Bilal, and starting May 1st, The Take will be a daily news podcast, bringing you the context and the people behind the global stories that matter. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Al Jazeera Podcast. The United States and South Korea sign an agreement to confront threats from North Korea, warning Pyongyang against using nuclear weapons. China says Washington is provoking confrontation. What does this deal mean for the region and for peace? I'm Nastasia Tay, and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. Well, joining me now are our guests. In Busan, South Korea, we have Sean O'Malley. He's a professor of international studies at Dongseo University. In Washington, D.C., Greg Scalatiu. He's the executive director of the Committee for Human Rights in North Korea. And in Beijing, we have Aina Tangen, a senior fellow at the Taiho Institute, a nonprofit think tank. A warm welcome to you all. Thank you for joining us on Inside Story, gentlemen. Now, obviously, there's plenty to discuss, but I do want to start with the practicalities of the agreement. Now, one of the big ticket items we're talking about is these regular deployments of a U.S. nuclear submarine to South Korean waters, South Korean harbors. But correct me if I'm wrong, if a U.S. nuclear submarine is at a South Korean harbor, I believe it's too close to actually target North Korea. Sean, is this then really just for show? Well, thank you. Yeah. Uh, in some sense, it is for show. Uh, it is a, a show of commitment and resolve from the United States that uh, they, too, uh, have the capability, much like North Korea has tried to demonstrate lately, of submarine launch ballistic missile capability and that they will deploy it to the peninsula if necessary. And it makes for a strike on North Korea that uh, could be a surprise or unanticipated The United States, of course, uh, would not launch a surprise attack against North Korea, but it is a warning that, that the technology is there and that if North Korea wants to flaunt such technology that it's developed, uh, that the United States can do the same thing and that it will do so in order to protect its alliance partner. So in some sense, it is more for show. Sure. Uh, Sean, you say this is about flaunting technology, but this is also part of the U.S.'s extended deterrence policy, right? But for deterrence to work, it's not just about showing your capabilities. You also need to demonstrate your will to retaliate. Anna, does this do that? Um, not really. I mean, the, the the subs would be better off in an unknown location. Remember, a submarine is a, a delivery vehicle mostly for second strike. That is, uh, if you know there is an attack, uh, submarines are supposed to be hidden, and they would follow up. Uh, the U.S. can, quite frankly, uh, send missiles to North Korea from mainland uh, America. Uh, this is not an issue. Actually, it's uh, strategically a very bad move because um, you know North Koreans can park their underwater drones outside the harbors and just kind of follow these nuclear subs around thereafter, uh, also exposing them uh, in a port where they're not going to be able to be retrofitted or they could be resupplied. But they, they spend about two-thirds of their time at sea, uh, one-third in uh, a facility where they do repairs. Um, it, it is purely for show, but definitely I don't think the Pentagon is going to be very happy. Greg, I know you want to jump in here. How is this going over in North Korea, do you think? Um, well, uh, according to a 2021 study by the RAND Corporation, North Korea will be in possession 
of 200 nukes by the year 2027, which is comparable to the UK or French nuclear arsenal, about half of China's by that time. Um, we have seen that the South Korean public has grown increasingly worried about North Korea's nuclear program. North Korea is a black hole on the map of uh, Northeast Asia. South Korea is the world's 10th largest economy. According to a study by the Asan Institute, 53% of South Koreans are in favor of developing a domestic deterrent. Well, that would be a really tough proposition. South Korea will have, would have to pull out of the non-proliferation treaty. South Korea is all about the economy, all about Samsung, LG, and the successful companies. South Korea would come under sanctions. So, uh, of course, this is a, an emotional reaction on the upside. South Koreans are very interested in taking charge of their own national defense, which is great. But this recent move of docking U.S. nuclear submarines in South Korean ports uh, is more than just a show. It reinforces the belief, confidence, in extended deterrence based on a rock-solid U.S. Rock Alliance. And if you look at the Washington Declaration, what it says is that the Republic of Korea has full confidence in U.S. extended deterrence commitments and recognizes the importance, necessity, and benefit of its enduring reliance on the U.S. nuclear deterrent. So this is all about boosting South Korean confidence in the alliance. You said uh, historic meeting, first state visit in 12 yeah. years. And this meeting has really been focused on the economy and also on extended deterrence and the alliance. Sure. Uh, Greg, clearly this is all about trust. And I want to bring Sean in here because I was also looking at some of the poll numbers. You mentioned a majority of South Koreans are keen to develop their own nuclear arsenal. I mean, some of those poll numbers actually go up to the 70s. Like 70% of, of South Koreans want a nuclear weapon. Now... We've talked about this being a message to Pyongyang. This was clearly also a message to the South Korean public to try to appease them. Uh, Sean, does the Washington Declaration do that? I don't think so. I think that uh, for the time being, uh, they're trying to placate a domestic audience here in South Korea that uh, is pushing for an indigenous nuclear deterrent. Uh, those numbers have been going up for the last 10 years here in South Korea. And uh, the majority of South Koreans uh, would rather have an indigenous program than relying on the United States. And I think that in the short to medium term, uh, that uh, interest by the public is going to have to be addressed in something much more concrete than the Washington Declaration presents. Aina, let me throw this to you because I, I could see you weren't in full agreement there. Uh, well, no, I, I think his comments are, are good, but the previous, uh, our man in Washington, um, I, I understand those are the talk points of the State Department, but quite frankly, let's address the elephant in the room. The reason the South Koreans uh, want their own nuclear deterrent is because they don't trust the U.S. Uh, there's been a loss. They, they look at what happened in Afghanistan, Iraq, the, uh, you know, the, everywhere around the world, the U.S. is gone. And it's, it has not fulfilled its promises. It's walked away from treaties, uh, whether it's Kyoto or Paris or the um, JCPOA. Uh, not the kind of stuff that's going to 
make people feel that the U.S. is going to honor its commitments. So at this juncture, I think they're saying, well, we have to do this ourselves. And thanks. Now, I'm not in favor of that. I don't think anyone else is. If uh, South Korea gets it, it'll only be a matter of time before Japan and perhaps a whole chain of, of countries in Southeast Asia decide that they also need to have a nuclear weapon. So we're talking about a potential arms race. Before we go down that path of conversation, I, I want to just focus a little here on South Korea for a moment, because watching President Yoon sing American Pie there, I mean, it really seemed like a full-throated embrace of America, even after the recent revelations that the US has been spying on some of its allies. We thought that might be awkward, but they seem to have moved on from that in the relationship. Is there the political appetite, do you think, in South Korea to try to start an indigenous program within the leadership I'm, I'm talking about here. Greg, what do you think? Uh, well, uh, I think that those interviewed for those surveys need to put in serious thought and realize what the consequences would be. Uh, since 1953, there has been no reason to doubt U.S. commitment to the U.S.-Rock alliance. This is a, a strong partnership, alliance, friendship, brotherhood, and sisterhood forged on the brutal, bloody battlefields of the Korean War. Uh, and despite, as the other speakers have mentioned, what uh, the perception might be about what has happened elsewhere in the world, the commitment to the alliance is rock solid. This is the message that the two presidents are, are sending right now, President Biden and President Yoon, uh, extended deterrence um, surrounding the Korean Peninsula uh, has been an accomplishment of the Biden administration strengthening that uh, extended deterrence. Sure. I don't know what else or what more the two presidents can do to enhance the confidence of the South Korean public well, in the U.S. One of the things, Greg, potentially they could do is to put a nuclear weapon on South Korean soil. But President Biden has been very, very clear that they're not willing to do that. Now, that wasn't the case several decades ago. So I'm curious, Sean, let me bring you in here. What's changed? Is this about stopping nuclear proliferation in the region or is there another strategic consideration here? Uh, the, the United States has always said that their primary concern about South Korea having nuclear weapons is that it allows for greater proliferation of nuclear weapons and will lead to an arms race in the region. I'm not sure if that logic actually holds up, but they are not interested in South Korea having nuclear uh, weapons indigenously, and the Biden administration is not interested in putting uh, nuclear weapons here. That said, I think, you know, as we look at some of the poll numbers, and you asked about political will here in South Korea to create a nuclear deterrent, I don't think there is political will to go that far yet. But um, the numbers do show that the South Korean public, the Global Affairs Council had an excellent survey back in early 2022 that showed that South Koreans for the primary reasons of a threat except for North Korea, so a threat outside of North Korea, is 55% of the main reason for people believing a nuclear deterrent is necessary here indigenously, mostly probably focused on China. And 26%, uh, the second most popular answer was for the prestige of South Korea. 
So South Koreans are well aware that they are the only non-nuclear power in the region. Uh, Japan has enough uh, plutonium process that they can have a crash course and have nuclear weapons within weeks. And so South Korea is really on the outs as far as an equal partner when it comes to sitting at the negotiating tables with Northeast Asian nuclear powers. And I think the South Korean public would like that to change. Well, that's interesting you say sitting at the negotiating table because it felt like one of the big wins for South Korea here was their inclusion in what they're calling this nuclear consultative group to get involved in nuclear planning with the US, perhaps some decision making which they haven't been involved in by my understanding before. Uh, I know how big of a deal is that for South Korea? Well, once again, we're talking about a pantomime here. You're going to be involved in what? You know, nuclear policy is whether you push the button or not. Uh, I, I don't know how, how, how to simplify it anymore. But let, let's look beyond, you know, these uh, the outside. You know, the, the U.S. is also pressuring uh, South Korea and other things. Uh, China has uh, started a uh, action against Micron, that so it sells about 25 percent of its total goods, uh, memory chips in China. That's about 15 billion dollars. And uh, Biden had said to him, said to South Korea, we want you to put pressure on Samsung and Hynex not to uh, sell to China to make up the deficit. Well, all of a sudden, there's this nuclear talk, uh, this nuclear uh, agreement. Um, this is a president in Korea who has 36 percent approval rating. I mean, he, he and Biden have a lot to talk about in that area. And it's also, you know, it's a little odd that it's coming right on the heels of of China announcing that you know they had a, a very nice phone call from with Zelensky uh, after they've been trying to push peace in the Middle East and the response is we're going to put nuclear uh, missiles somewhere near South Korea now there's going to be a legal case uh, involved in this because the territory of the you know the the bays where these uh, submarines go in these are territorial waters it's the same thing uh, it, it doesn't matter if the us is controlling or not those nuclear weapons are going to be in the sovereign territory of south korea so i'm sure there'll be some complaint and say that this is in fact a violation of the agreement Greg, I'll let you jump in here. I know you also wanted to talk about the other considerations here for South Korea, the, the economic ones, which Ina was also touching on there. Thank you. Let's remember the fundamentals. The reason why there are 28,500 U.S. servicemen and women in South Korea is that on June the 25th, 1950, North Korea invaded South Korea. We don't have a peace treaty in place, just an armistice. Absolutely right. South Korea is an economic powerhouse. The sacrifice would be great pulling out of the MPT and developing nuclear weapons. Uh, that would be borderline insanity. Of course, this is a very emotional reaction. You know, these people in the North are blackmailing us. We're the world's 10th largest economy. Why not have our own nuclear weapons? I disagree with the point that South Korea is the only non-nuclear power in the region. Japan is not a nuclear power. South Korea, of course, also uh, relies on nuclear power and has the capability to reprocess and develop uh, nuclear weapons within about 12 months. Remember, there is still Article 9 of the Japanese Constitution that outlaws the resolution of international disputes through armed conflict. So the price to pay would be great. South Korea is not going nuclear. South Korea and South Koreans are going to be reassured by this state visit by President Yoon to the White House, to the United States, that the alliance is strong, that the United States continues to be committed to extended deterrence, to containing the North Korean threat. 
Why are we doing this? Because they will have 200 nuclear warheads by the year 2027, because they've just tested Hwasong-18, a three-stage ballistic missile capable of reaching practically probably any point uh, within the continental United States. So the tension is not driven by South Korea or the us Rock Alliance. The tension is being driven by these North Korean provocations. Well, Sean, let me ask you the question there that Greg's alluding to then. Have U.S. calculations, risk calculations in particular, have they potentially changed now that we're seeing increased North Korean capability to hit cities in, in the continental United States? Well, I, I think any good military strategist would, would say that, that things have definitely changed over the last few years. The military first policy in North Korea has seen a number of successes over the past couple of years including uh, cruise missile technology, tests of submarine uh, launch-based missiles, uh, a, a recently uh, solid fuel rocket launch. So uh, they're moving ahead and they're evolving, and the United States is going to have to evolve with it, so is South Korea. Um, I would like to piggyback on what was just said, however, and say that um, although South Korea may not get an indigenous nuclear capability and they don't have the will for it, um, the United States right now currently enjoys an approval rating of about 90% here uh, in South Korea, and uh, China has a negative approval of about 80% as far as friendly countries towards uh, South Korea. And uh, the South Korean population within that perspective, uh, politically, is it's a very polarized environment right now. So already the opposition party, the Democratic Party, is attacking Yoon, that uh, President Yoon, that this summit has been a failure and it's a blow to national interest and a blow to national security. And his party, the People Power Party, is saying that it's a great success, that extended deterrence has been strengthened and that South Korea is in a better position. So I think South Koreans have a lot of soul searching to do and President Yoon needs to build a consensus over the next few years about what the vision is for South Korean diplomatic policy and foreign policy, because he is uh, his vision is not really agreed upon yet by the public. Uh, this drawing closer to the United States and seemingly pushing away from China and Russia, although he has not said that himself mm -hmm. that he wants to push away. I feel like this is a good time to look more specifically at the Chinese reaction to all of this. Obviously, Beijing doesn't seem particularly pleased. Uh, I want to quote from the foreign ministry. What the US is doing provokes confrontation between camps, undermines the nuclear non-proliferation regime and the strategic interests of other countries. But it does feel like there's a bit of a paradox here because this whole policy that the US has of, of extended deterrence means that China is essentially the only country other than North Korea with an active nuclear program in the region. Surely, I know that's not gone unnoticed in Beijing. Oh, yes, of, of course. But I mean, right now, uh, as we discussed early on, it doesn't matter where uh, these nuclear arms are. Um, they, they can be fired from anywhere, from the continental U.S., uh, from uh, you know, Navy ships, airplanes, and submarines. So uh, this issue that bringing them closer is an issue for China is, I, I don't think it's correct. But 
Um, as I said, there's a very stark difference. Uh, China believes that it's going forward, and it was very noticeable. Very little uh, press time was given uh, to this particular issue. Instead, they were doubling down on what's happening in Ukraine and the fact that uh, she is appealing to the central uh, Asian states to be part of this peace process, trying to assemble a group of, of uh, uh, unbiased and trustworthy uh, countries that can intercede. So uh, China is going to, to stick to its idea that pushing peace is far better in terms of appealing to the global South and Central Asia. Uh, the U.S. Uh, believes that, um, you know, uh, offering uh, more nuclear deterrence and things like that at a time when the world is already fraught with uh, uh, problems, uh, trust, et cetera, is going to s suddenly help. I mean, I, I, I don't believe it is. I don't think any of my uh, cohorts believe that uh, more arms are the are, are the answer for everything. Uh, it's just like okay. in the U.S., more guns well, I, are not the answer. I think, we, I think we should keep in mind that both South Korea and the United States have stated they are interested in talks with North Korea unconditionally, and that North Korea has not taken them up on that at all yet. And so in a vacuum, uh, the alliance uh, feels they have to take uh, certain positions, and and the Washington Declaration is is one more evolution of those positions until they can sit down and and do more talking with North Korea. Uh, sure, but yeah, well, you say I, that, I but the fact is, uh, no, every president uh, since uh, you know since World War II said that they're not going to allow another country, especially uh, when North Korea became uh, an issue, to have nuclear weapons. Now we're all sitting here acknowledging that they do have nuclear weapons, that they can uh, hit the United States. Where is the responsibility for this? I mean, it's it's been failed Definitely. efforts on both sides uh, that have led to this situation where everybody's in danger. I want to take a pause here because I know you just mentioned a number of presidents have, have said the same thing. We are talking about a number of potential different presidents dealing with South Korea here. There is a US election next year, and we're talking about the Washington Declaration as if it's going to continue indefinitely, but that might not actually be the case. This could actually all be moot. So, Greg, let me ask you, you're sitting in Washington, D.C., and you're talking to, to South Koreans and North Koreans. How anxious is Seoul at the moment about a potential change in administration? It is very important to remember that since the end of the Cold War for more than 30 years, we have been dealing with these extraordinarily serious issues. North Korea's nukes and ballistic missiles, the lives of millions are at stake. And it's also important to remember that in order to address the North Korean conundrum, one needs the application of all elements of national power, the dime, D-I-M-E. Diplomacy, indeed, I agree with the other speakers, continues to be important. We need to be open to that. Um, we need to continue to send information into North Korea. We need to continue to empower the people of North Korea through information from the outside world. This information has to be customized based on North Korea's on an understanding of North Korea's social classification system, which is based on loyalty. Military power through extended deterrence is important. And economic, the application of economic power through sanctions is very important. So this has to be a comprehensive package. My organization is currently making an argument for a paradigm shift a human rights upfront approach, including okay. human rights in the bundle of issues that we address. I do want to bring in Sean here very, very briefly. You're sitting in Busan. How nervous are people there about a potential Trump presidency? Oh, uh, 
Yeah, I think uh, that's uh, a bit of a worry, uh, probably more for economic reasons than uh, the security reasons, however. Um, he, the economic policies of the Trump administration uh, were a problem. Some of them have carried over into the Biden administration, and, and South Koreans believe that has hurt them economically. And so I think uh, that's much more important uh, to them regarding a Trump presidency than, than the security implications. Um, but, uh, you know, we'll have to wait and see sort of how that plays out come next year. We will indeed. I imagine Beijing is watching very closely as well, Aina. Is there anxiety over there? Not really. I, I, I don't think they see Trump as a viable candidate. He can win the, um, uh, the nomination for the Republican side, but it's very doubtful that he'll be able to get to unite his own party behind him and additionally get the independence that would be necessary for him to become president. Uh, so right now it's, uh, it's going to shaping up to be not a very great race. Uh, it's possible that Trump, uh, seeing that if he cannot win, he'll throw his weight behind another Republican who he does think can win uh, in exchange for pardon. Uh, right now, his legal troubles are really mounting, and it's hard to see that he will escape unscathed. Well, clearly an election that will have huge repercussions, though, for the region that we're all talking about. We'll leave it there for now. Thank you to all of our guests, Sean O'Malley, Ina Tangan, and Greg Scalatiu. This episode was produced by Dermot Fleming, Alexandra Byers, Abla Kla, and Gemma Harries. Studio sound by Philip Morrison, and the program was edited by Vishnu Sheila, Lin Yuan, and Joda Frias. Do be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch each of our episodes. Thanks for listening, and tune in again on Friday for our next one. Thank you.